Support for this podcast and the following message come from Wise, the app that makes managing your money in different currencies easy. With Wise, you can send and spend money internationally at the mid-market exchange rate. No guesswork and no hidden fees. Learn more about how Wise could work for you at wise.com. Today on State of the World, a massive civilian displacement caused by war, but not the war you're thinking of. Thanks for listening to State of the World from NPR. We bring you the day's most vital international stories, up close where they're happening. It's Thursday, November 9th. I'm Greg Dixon. For more than six months, a war has been raging in Sudan, and it has brought the country to its knees. Thousands have been killed, and nearly six million have been displaced. Reporting from Sudan has been difficult, but correspondent Emmanuel Akinwotu has been making calls to people in Sudan from his base in Lagos, and he joins me now. Hi, Emmanuel. Hi, Greg. So can you just please remind us, what is this war about? Essentially, it's a war for control of Sudan. Both of these parties, the Sudanese army and the Rapid Support Forces, which are a paramilitary group, they were allies working in tandem and essentially actually mounted a coup against the transition government that the military led. That transition government came into power after the the fall of Omar al-Bashir, who was the longtime dictator of Sudan. He'd been in power for 29 years. And then there was this incredible revolution that inspired millions of people around the world and led to the fall of this regime. Um, the RSF and the army essentially at the moment are fighting for the spoils of who will truly control Sudan. There's an ethnic component to this war that is really increasing the human toll. Can you explain that a little bit? Yes, it's extremely troubling what is going on in the western region of Darfur. You know, 20 years ago, we saw a genocide there. And now we're seeing ethnic cleansing and mass killings against African ethnic groups by militias, Arab militias aligned with the RSF. The RSF actually evolved from the infamous Janjaweed Arab militia group that was responsible for many of the atrocities in Darfur 20 years ago. And now the RSF essentially control most of Darfur. The reports from Darfur are just extremely troubling, as are the reports we're still seeing and hearing from across the country. Over the last few weeks, we've been hearing from people in Khartoum, Omdurman and Darfur, just to get a sense of how things are unfolding around them. And these are their voice notes that they've sent to us. All right, let's take a listen. These were the hopeful chants of resistance from Sudanese activists like Dua Tariq in the early weeks of the war. Oh, revolutionary, continue chanting. Tell the people of the neighborhood, I'm coming as long as I'm alive. You're safe, don't be scared. They'd walk through battered streets in their neighborhood in East Khartoum and chant words of defiance so residents sheltering from the shelling could feel that they were not alone. And don't forget, even when it gets dark and ugly, we're here around you, holding you down. But now the chance have stopped. This kind of open defiance has become too dangerous. After six months of war in the capital Khartoum, life has changed so much. She and others in Sudan have sent voice notes to NPR about what their lives are like now. Dua says militants from the Rapid Support Forces control the streets around her home, like in much of Khartoum. There is so many of them, they are everywhere. People are in shock. People kind of now coexisting with the militia. Every day, the people in her neighborhood share new stories of atrocities by RSF fighters. 
children, people, everybody just talk about the militia, what they have done today. Um, they came by, they looted, they hit someone, somebody arrested. And women routinely suffer sexual violence. It's not difficult to be a woman right now. There are like women being raped in front of their families. It's very dangerous right now for women and the situation is only getting worse. Both the RSF and the army have been accused of several rights abuses across Sudan. For the millions left in Sudan, the war rages on, but without the attention it had six months ago, or the diplomatic urgency needed to end it. My name is Amna Gassim. I'm a pediatric specialist at Al-Bolo Hospital. Dr. Amna Gassim works at what is now the only pediatric hospital in Khartoum state, the wider region beyond the capital city. Her hospital has been shelled four times and can only give minimal care because supplies are depleted and the consequences are often fatal. One of the most difficult situations or stories that we went through during the last months. She tells a story about a family that brought their 12-year-old daughter and only child to the hospital. She had kidney failure and needed dialysis. They needed a catheter, a tube to drain fluid from her body, something they normally had. If they did, she would have survived, but they didn't and she died. You have nothing to do to save her life. One of the epicenters of the fighting has been the western region of Darfur. It's me, uh, Adib, the former governor of uh, central Darfur. Uh, things are getting worse. Adib Youssef is a former governor in Darfur which was the site of a genocidal war in 2002. He says the situation is worse there now than 20 years ago and that genocidal violence is being inflicted again. The conflict dynamic, it looks in Darfur is more of ethnic conflict rather than political conflict. Refugees have reported mass killings by Arab militias aligned with the RSF, which itself evolved from the infamous Janjaweed militia responsible for atrocities against African ethnic groups, according to rights groups. Humanitarian situation also is getting worse. For those suffering people, there's no organization or UN agencies that are supporting them. This is an appeal to the international community, therefore is in a very critical situation and people are suffering. After six months of war, so much of Dua's life has changed. Sorry, that's my baby on the background. She's now a mother, and she's raising her child in a neighborhood in East Khartoum that's a shell of itself, shattered or disfigured by shelling and occupied by fighters. There is not not a chance for protesting physically on the streets. She and other activists no longer chant around the neighborhood or protest the fighting but they found other ways to soften the impact of the war. There is a network of people in Khartoum. They've turned their homes into a discreet network of 70 emergency response rooms where they share the little medical aid they can find, as well as counselling, food and shelter. The core of it is love and the mutual aid and um, taking care of each other, listening to what we, we have to say sharing emotions. We move to houses next to each other to be uh, close and watch over each other and to protect each other from the militia. Emmanuel, the atrocities committed by both sides in this conflict sound terrible. Is there any progress in peace talks to end this war? It's hard to be optimistic. 
You know, there have been these peace talks in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia that have been held over and over again, um, but they haven't had much of an impact. You know, virtually all the agreements that have emerged from these talks have unraveled straight away. Most of the agreements have been humanitarian ceasefires. And last week we had another version of that, which was a humanitarian agreement where both sides said they would cooperate to allow aid to move freely around Sudan. And, you know, we'll have to see whether that objective is met this time. But in terms of peace more broadly, you know, what we've seen over the last six, seven months is that both sides are only really prepared to come to the table when they feel they have the upper hand in the war. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your reporting, Emmanuel. Thanks, Greg. That's the State of the World from NPR. A special thanks to our State of the World Plus listeners for supporting our journalists around the world, like Emmanuel in Africa. If you like what you hear and you're able to join them in making our reporting possible, please sign up at plus.npr.org or on our show page in Apple Podcasts. Thanks to everyone for listening. See you again soon. All that sitting and swiping, your body is adapting to your technology. Learn how and what you can do about it. I really felt like the cloud in my brain kind of dissipated. Once I started realizing what a difference these little bricks were making, there's no turning back for me. Take NPR's Body Electric Challenge. Listen to the series wherever you get your podcasts. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Capella University. With Capella's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This message is brought to you by NPR sponsor, Lisa, in collaboration with West Elm. Discover the new natural hybrid mattress, expertly crafted from natural latex and certified safe foams, designed with your health and the planet in mind. Visit leesa.com to learn more.